You are listening to Berlinotech. This is a podcast about inspiring people that are still chasing their dreams in the German capital. Welcome to Berlinotech episode 9. My guest today is Sarah Neidorf, drummer, drum teacher, guitarist, organizer of the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. Sarah, thanks for accepting my invitation. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, and also thanks for uh, letting me uh, do this in your place. It's uh, very cozy in here. Very quiet as well, essential for, uh, for a podcast. No so problem. what passion came first? Was it music or cinema? It's funny. I think they both really kind of formed around the same time. Like when I was 11 or 12, I started playing drums when I was 11. And my earliest sort of important film memories are also from around that time because my mother and I would go movie hopping at the local cinema, actually. We would go and buy tickets for one movie and then <laughs> see two or three in the same day. And we started that when I was in middle school, so like 11, 12 years old. Um, you know, always kind of doing things our own way and when it came to the movies. And we were also renting horror movies from the local blockbuster. So that was like our big sort of weekend movie hangout activity. We were always very close. And at the same time, I was learning the drums and listening. That was when I was discovering metal for the first time. It wasn't necessarily the same metal that I'm listening to today. It was more yeah. like uh, kind of the new metal of the early 2000s. So, great, uh, great time. Great time to be alive. Great <laughs> perfect. time to be alive. Great time to be a 12-year-old, at least. <laughs> yes. It was perfect for that kind of angst. Yes, 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 absolutely. And, um, yeah, so they weren't connected, but they were really kind of burgeoning at the same time in my life and continued to occupy kind of the same amount of territory in my in so my they life. showed up you would say they showed up at the same time pretty much music and cinema was it was a parallel yeah um, totally. parallel growth in your okay they were good for different parts of me cinema was more like my way of unwinding and also connecting with my mom and also just having like an intellectual sort of engagement whereas music was something that i was i don't know it was a different part of my brain and a different part of my identity it was part of Yeah, it had, it had more to do with, like, my outward identity as well. Like, I'm a drummer. I'm becoming a drummer. I'm training myself. Whereas okay. the cinema was something that was a little bit more internal and, like... Yeah, so cinema was yeah. more like something you were you were uh, learning with and discovering, while drama was more expressing your, your yourself almost yeah, like that. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, drums okay. was, my, was my mode of expression, whereas, like, the movies were nurturing something that was more a part of me like a deeper internal part of me okay so they were they were two let's we can put it as two separate entities maybe but they were both contributing in interesting ways in a way to your to your personality in that case no totally do you remember what was your first horror movie you remember that well as for my first horror movie it probably wasn't a good one it was probably <laughs> something like um uh, something from blockbuster that i wasn't supposed to see like um I don't know, Leprechaun, if you're yeah. sure of those, like really crappy horror okay. franchises that were somehow all the blockbusters had them and they just looked really yeah. like sensationalistic and kind of... As a 12-year-old, this is something you need to go watch. Yeah, th this was more like when I was eight or nine. Oh, okay, uh, even like, earlier. Like a okay. friend would say, oh, I got this movie and my, my parents, <laughs> you know, they don't know that I have it and then we would watch it and there'd be blood and, and gore and nudity and blah, blah, blah. But then when I was like 12, that was when my mother was really like showing me good movies like Rosemary's Baby and... The Shining and Hellraiser, which okay. kind of is a different sort of horror, but she really liked all kinds of horror as well. Um, yeah, I remember watching Hellraiser with like my good friends also after I'd seen it with my mom being like, you have mm -hmm. to see this and so on. So those were, yeah, the three that I named, those were kind of like my, my early three important ones. Also along with 
stuff like Carrie and It and um, yeah, there were so many. I don't know. The Exorcist was also an early one that Bunch I was of them impressed then. by. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. I mean, as a as a I guess as a twelve year old to watch horror movies first with your mom and then with your friends, your friends must have thought, ah, oh, she must be really cool. <laughs> uh, this mom must be really cool now. Yeah, I mean, I was always like, my mom was hanging out with me and my friends. Okay, I don't well. know. Maybe that's a little bit weird, but <laughs> I often had friends who were who also had awesome moms. Yeah, and we were kind of like, we would we would hang out together, our moms yeah. and our friends. It was the awesome moms group, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. What's cool, what's so special um, for you? What's so special about uh, horror cinema in general? Do you think there's something that horror has that? Do you think there's something that horror has that other genres don't have, or uh, why is it so special to you? Why would you say that? Yeah, I think horror is really good at at breaking down boundaries and like kind of interrogating and like examining the things that are wrong with society and with like the way people interact with each other and just yeah all the things that you're kind of suspicious about in life and having having trouble with in life horror is a really good way of kind of digging into those things and okay and getting to the bottom of them and also kind of living out different outcomes perhaps for situations that aren't going well for you <laughs> for right. example um or for the rest of the world even was yeah, that something you realized from the very beginning when you watched your first horror movies? Like, oh, this is really, it's really different from what I've watched until today. Or this is something that hit you from the very beginning? You think? Yeah, for sure, it, it hit me from from the start. Just there's there's a certain thrill also that comes with it, where you just kind of, you know, you're, it's a safe way of exploring things that you're not otherwise kind of given permission to, to explore. I think there's you, a, there's so much to it. It's it's really hard sure to like, sure. You know, you could probably. There are, there are books about why horror is important, right? Especially for women also, like why that's an important sort of cathartic experience for a female sure. spectator to have. Sure, um, sure. It's also, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge horror cinema fan, but I can see how it also drags you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. The whole concept is to drag you out of your comfort zone in the end to totally. explore things like nightmares or, or ghosts or something like that. And that's... That's the, the um, I guess, the, the very concept of a horror movie is to drag you out of your comfort in general, yeah, comfort zone. Totally. So that, I guess that's a tra- that also attracts a lot of people or scares a lot of people, maybe like me. But, uh, mm-hmm. but in terms of uh, mo- most people that love horror movies, at least I think they're kind of attached to that feeling of discovery as well, no? Yeah, and having also a safe way to explore that. Like, okay. I mean, people approach watching film in different ways and some people, you know, they can't, they can't disconnect themselves from the, the film watching experience and maybe they have, they're haunted by it, they have nightmares, etc., which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But then there's also, I mean, if, you, if you're able to suspend disbelief, as they call it mm-hmm. in film studies, then it's really quite a, like, almost a comforting and safe way to have like a, a thrilling and horrifying experience. I'm and then sure, you can yeah. exit it safely and... With a, a level of distance. And sure, yeah. Like Two hours later, it's over. Yeah. Now, you came uh, to Berlin from, from Philadelphia uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. What's so different about Berlin that made you move or made you stay? Is there something that you sort of comes to your mind that made you really stay here that's so different from Philly? Well, the film, like the, the film festival, underground film scene is really, I think, the most important thing for me about Berlin, and which is also why I was able to start the festival mm-hmm. because there are so many venues for showing for showing films also you know 
you know, from, from big professional cinemas to also underground um, pop-up spaces to, okay. to bars that also have screening rooms and projections to, you know, to outdoor cinemas, to all these things. I mean, in Philly, I, could, I couldn't name more than... I mean, it would be generous for me to say there's like 10 good spaces to watch movies aside from the big cineplexes, like yep. not including the big cineplexes. Even 10 feels like a stretch, whereas here you could nearly get to 100. Okay. It's really like a, pretty good. a huge difference. Sure. And that's also like in the history of the city as well. It's always had kind of... So it has that, always had that tradition. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it, is it, do you feel, I mean, when did you arrive to Berlin first time? Was it... First time I arrived was in like the spring of 2011, which is okay. when I did an exchange semester. So I stayed for six months in 2011, and then I moved here officially in September 2012. Okay. Yeah. Did you have you felt because, uh, for example, a lot of people in terms of the area I know the best, and you might also know some stuff about that. In terms of music venues, a few of them are closing down, or clubs in general mm -hmm. closing down because of the pressure in terms of either rents or neighbors complaining or something like this. Mm. Are cinemas or is the indie uh, cinema scene in Berlin going through the same process or? Do people tend to respect a bit more uh, cinema rooms, or is is it happening the same thing? Is is gentrification having the same sort of impact? You think? I was wondering that when I first moved here. That was kind of like one of the questions that um, inspired me to apply for a research grant here. Actually, was to like study the cinema landscape and how it's changing over time. But because one of the ones that I really liked was uh, was closing down, but then it actually reopened somewhere else. Like, I haven't experienced too much of like too much of a decline in terms of the cinema over the like five or six years that I've been here. If anything, more of them are opening. There have been new oh, ones coming up. Yeah, that's so great. That's, I'm, I'm surprised about that because I thought it had been going the other way. Um, and again, I mean, this is just my, my limited perspective or like perception of what's going on in the scene in the, the neighborhoods that I'm more actively involved. But with music, yeah, music, I mean, it I seems think to be a bit different. I guess also it's, it's for to free to host live music events. There's a certain amount of noise that comes with it, and with yeah. cinema, I guess it's it's a bit different because there's you can there can be acoustic ways of, of of limiting that, and it doesn't need to be so loud for people to enjoy it. While in, in a rock concert, you need the volume, for example. Yeah, the noise regulations so are a trickier. big issue, and also just um, yeah, the, the the way that the rents are raising. And sure then this is causing issues with musicians who feel they're not being paid enough, which exactly. is a very, very valid and important issue. Uh, it's good to know that with yeah. cinema, at least, uh, uh, things, if anything, they're getting even better. Uh, and th at least when, when some cinemas close, people are going to open them somewhere else in other areas of the city where it's maybe cheaper or the crowd is there now. Or uh, Yeah, it's good to know. I actually didn't know anything about it. Uh, I've been informing myself since I saw your article at the Ex-Berliner, in the Ex-Berliner, and uh, it's, it's good to see that even in the cinema, despite all the competition and, and all the, let's call them, threats to cinema now these days with Netflix or whatever, uh, people true. are still interested. Um, yeah, I, hope, I mean, I hope that's true. This is what I'm perceiving, but I also know that it's, it's a struggling business for sure. Sure, sure. It's not easy. It's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that the underground cinema scene is financially thriving sure. but it is still strong and it's really widespread okay. and there are a lot of events popping up as well like more and more sort of like film collectives or film festivals or like mobile kino does a lot of events for example mm -hmm. um that yeah and they're very popular as well i think that that's definitely okay like a an, a vital part of of berlin night sure. culture and so on and it's also among among younger audiences and older audiences it's really just a yeah, it seems to be more of a cultural act, like 
practice here than it is in the States, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's super, It's pretty strong in Berlin. I don't know much about it, but what I see in terms of events, there's so much happening. I guess we got to talk about, uh, well, the main reason for this episode to be happening, your own film festival. The Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, um, It's uh, it happens every year. It's a yearly yeah. festival, yeah. Yeah, we had it twice last year because we had so many submissions for our first one. That oh, we, so you actually did it twice Yeah, we couldn't fit them all. in the. We had it like for two nights in February, and then we oh, we had twice as many accepted submissions. Of course, we were learning. We didn't realize, oh, if we accept these like 70 short films, we're not going to be able uh, to show them in, in two nights. Yeah. So we had one in June and also had a call for submissions as well. That's good news then. That. It's better to have too much work. In that sense, it's better to have too much work. I guess that means that once again, people are interested in and people are doing movies as well. People are interested in that. Yeah. Um, the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, for those listening to the podcast, uh, it uh, uh, showcases horror cinema that is directed, written or produced by women and non-binary. Sarah, where did the idea of the festival come from? What was the, the very beginning of the festival? Why did you start organizing it? Well, the first person who, who named and founded the festival was actually uh, Lara Mandelbrot, who had been inspired by other uh, women in horror events. Like she, she named it and she chose two feature films for it. And then from there, one of those feature film directors knew me and connected us. So, we, so I got connected with Lara pretty much within the first month of its existence. Okay. And then we planned the rest of the festival along with my friend Eleanor, who um, is also still one of the festival directors with us and yeah I think that all of us are hugely uh inspired by horror film and have been for our whole lives and uh like it turns out we Ellie and I had also been following these women in horror festivals which are few and far between but are also are still very exciting and inspiring for us okay. um there there's one in Los Angeles there's one in Japan uh there are a few others there's one in in Australia as well the stranger with with my face festival and I, I'm not sure if there are more than uh, than 15 or 20 or something like that. With the same topic, you mean hor the topic horror? The horror okay. made by by women. Okay. I'm quite sure there there are fewer than 20 in the world. We we connected. We talked about our our love of horror, and we decided to just make it happen. Yeah, make it happen to contribute one of these women in horror events because there aren't really any others active in Europe. There's one in Ireland, I believe, and I think that otherwise on mainland Europe, we're okay. we're the only one right now. Yeah, it's, I think it's a very it's sort of uh, you know, we're used to hear about, especially in building, I think we're used to hear about film festivals, but I think the topic, the main concept of this one is it's very special because it's, it's very unique at the same time and it, it's somehow attracting a lot of people to it. Um, uh, how was how did it go this year? I mean, we just, we, we're having this interview one week pretty much after it happened, so Sarah's still recovering. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how did it, how did it go? It was good. It was really, um, it was our best attended festival yet. We had, I think we found finally like the perfect venue for us in terms of atmosphere and size and location and everything. It's called Bevara Ladenkino uh, in Friedrichshain. It's near, it's on Boxhagener Platz. And it has kind of, I mean, like dim lighting and old furniture and sort of like the vibe is dark perfect. colors. It's, yeah, it's perfect vibe. It's yeah. a really good place to hang out and talk about horror and watch <laughs> horror as well. Yeah. And the screening room we were in can fit between 60 and 70 people. So not too big and not too tiny either. Nice for a kind Spot of on, niche yeah. crowd. And we were able to fill that room for at least half of our screenings. And otherwise it was still well, well attended. Okay. So um, you can end up with a few sold out screenings and extra folding chairs lined up on the side as well. 
Yeah, and we had also a panel discussion and um, a workshop and a talk. And ah, so it's not just uh, not just showing the movies. You also have uh, talks and, and yeah. uh, workshops as well. What are the workshops exactly. about? This time there was a storyboarding workshop led by one of the filmmakers who was premiering her film with us. Okay, well. that's really cool. Yeah, we had like seven, I think maybe even eight directors who came Whoa. to the festival from other countries. That's amazing. One that's that's from, pretty good then. Yeah, one even flew in from Australia oh. on her own dime. So uh, like, 30 hours just to be here. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, we really appreciated that. It sort were, of make, it makes all the effort worth it almost for you guys as well. No? It must yeah. be really thrilling to see this happening. Cool. They were great. They also like connected with each other and... Um, they were like open with the audience, answering questions, and I okay. mean, yeah, one of them offered a workshop. Elizabeth Schuch from Book, of, she directed the film Book of Birdie. She gave this great storyboarding workshop. This woman from Pittsburgh came in and gave a talk about vampires, about like let, uh -huh. exploitation vampire cinema from the seventies, and okay. yeah, female vampires. And sounds so pretty on. epic. Yeah, it was pretty great. Good stuff, yeah, yeah. Okay. And last year we also had an art exhibition with like female artists working in horror mostly local. Okay. So we'll probably do another one of those next year too. And right. It's it's sort of important, I guess, uh, in a film festival to add something extra that makes people get out of their homes and, and come to a cinema, not only to watch a movie, but also to learn a bit more. No, It's, it's important yeah. to create that extra, um, I wouldn't call it entertainment, but something extra to the film festival to, so that people can add it to their experiences. No, And it's nice that we can then have a little more audience engagement, audience interaction sure. through that. It has a, I think it's, it's uh, even a bigger impact for the audience if those things are also happening on the side uh, in, the, totally. in the festival. And we could tell that like, you know, people were making friends there, exchanging contact, giving each other their cards and so on. So there's also a bit But, of networking on top of that. That's, yeah. that's, that's really important, I think, as well. That was great. Could you, um, what does it take, um, just in case there's someone listening to the podcast who wants to organize a festival here or anywhere else in the world, uh, could you sum up in, in sort of the process of organizing a festival? What does it take in terms of organizing this whole thing? Are you already thinking about the next one, for example? Is we it... are. <laughs> we just had a meeting last night, actually, like a sort of... No time to stop, no time to rest. Yeah, we were really kind of wrapping things up and also exchanging feedback and kind of just debriefing from the festival, but we were so we found ourselves so unable to like part with the festival work that we already opened up our call for submissions online <laughs> for the next one. You're addicted, Earlier than you're addicted to the festival. It's our longest ever open yeah. call for submissions. It'll be like nine months of receiving <laughs> films <laughs> before our next festival. But yeah, we were so excited to get more. There's really, there's so much that goes into it, but what you really need to start is like, first of all, it's nice to have a team to work with. If you're all by yourself, it can be really daunting. So Sure. When you have some people to break down the labor with, that's important and good. Um, you need to find a location that you feel comfortable working with and with, you know, whose manager is also you're able to have good contact with and so on. Figure out what that's going to look like in terms of money, whether there's a, a good a good split of the income or if there are like additional rental fees that you have to worry about. Okay. Did you find um, it very difficult? I, I assume that the second edition, I mean, of course, it was still very hard to organize, but because you had one before, mm -hmm. were things slightly easier in that sense? Because like, I don't know, from sponsors to venues had a chance to look at what you did in the past. So they're like, I oh, know they're really serious about this. Let's have them here. Did, did you feel it? Yeah, like, I think it probably went a little bit easier when we when we approached Movimento for our June festival. Uh, that the fact that we'd already had one and that they'd heard okay. of us. Um, yeah, and then in terms of finding the films. Uh, yeah, how do you choose? So how many films did you have in, in this the festival this year? In we total? had five feature films and six short film programs. And I think in total there were maybe 
40 short films divided between okay. those six programs. So okay. it's mostly yeah. short movies then. It's not not um, longer movies. How do you call them? Sorry. Feature feature length. Feature, yeah, sorry. we had five features, which is more than we ever had. Oh, okay, before. sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. We had three last year in June, and then well, I guess we actually we did have four in our very first festival, but that was two retrospective, and then two current ones. Do you um, have a bit of a, a like a panel of people deciding, uh, f- choosing the movies, or how? What's the what's right. the, how does the selection go? I'm getting there. I'm getting. There. <laughs> Well, you need to open up a call for submissions online on different platforms. I mean, you can try by just reaching out to your own networks, but the best way to do it is to go on platforms like Film Freeway and Without a Box. And we also are on Fest Home. There might be a few others online as well. But yeah, we find that, for example, Film Freeway is a very quick and copious producer of submissions. A lot of people submit to us that way. And... um Yeah, so that's I'd I'd say that accounts for more than half of the films that we receive, and the right. other half, um, Ellie in particular, my co-director Ellie, she is really into looking up other film festivals and looking up their programs and really digging into what looks good in those other programs, and then contacting those yeah. filmmakers or the distribution companies that are uh, responsible for their films, and requesting screener links that way, so then we can watch the films that were screened at other big horror festivals or other big feminist film festivals um, and then talk about it as a team. There's six of us on the team. Okay. So we try to get as many of their voices in on it as well. But um, other, it's a other tough times process it's just to, the two of us. To make everyone agree with it as well, no? Mm-hmm. To which movie to accept, which which movie to leave, leave out of the program and stuff. Yeah, It sometimes it's like univer- you know, a unanimous uh, agreement about a film, but... There are definitely times when we will end up on the f- very final day before we have to submit our our answers, and we're still not decided still about not sure, the yeah. film. That'll must be, happen, I mean, yeah. must be a bit. Of course, I, I assume it's quite tiring, but it must be also very interesting to be able to have access to so many works of of of, of art in this sense. It must be quite fascinating as well to be able it's to great. put them out there. I think that's that's why we opened up the call for submissions already. Was that like, <laughs> You're already excited about we start already watching, want more yeah. actually because I mean we love horror so much and. In the end, what we what we really want to see is that m- more women make horror films. Sure, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, women and trans and non-binary people are making films and genres that are so male-dominated at this moment, at this time, mm-hmm. I mean, f- throughout all of film history, really. Sure. But we want to see that change, a shift in, in the paradigm there. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about that in 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 the website. You, I'm just going to quote what you put in the website. We've seen more than enough representations of women as beautified victims in constructions of male fantasies and anxieties. Do you feel that this is now changing in the cinema and visual entertainment world, or is this still a huge way, a long way to go? There's definitely a huge way to go, but yes, there there have been more and more um, feature-length films um, that are receiving funding that are being directed by women, which is, I mean, that's really where the where it come where the issue comes from is that women are not able, you know, they're applying for the same the same positions as men, but men get the job, you know. Mm-hmm tenfold more often so it's now finally more and more women are being trusted in the directorial role and given funding to make their to make their movies and or their screenplays also are being um taken into more consideration the the gears are shifting slowly but but uh, uh, you think things are starting to finally go in a 
in a good way in terms of, of, of showing as much work of women and men uh, uh, in that sense. You think yeah. things are starting to change finally then? Pretty much since since The Babadook. I don't know if you heard of that movie, an Australian horror film made by Jennifer Kent. I don't think so. I'm not a huge cinema guy, so I probably haven't heard about it, no. I think it was 2013, so again, we're only talking five years now. But since then, every year, there's a nice handful of like really great feature, feature horror films, feature-length horror films made by women okay. that we're really excited about. Like we showed Prevenge at this last festival, which was one of those films that we were super impressed by, but okay. also shows like a completely uniquely female perspective also. Because mm-hmm. that's what, I mean, yeah, of course you're seeing a lot of women in horror films, but these are women that are being directed by and written by men, so. It's always a very different perspective. Yeah, yeah so even if people are thinking they're seeing an even or balanced sort of representation of gender on screen, they're not because they're, only receiving stories that are written by male voices. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really important that that changes, and it needs to change in a huge way. It's changing very slowly, and we are very excited about every sort of ounce of change that we get to witness, but it's like... And you're also contributing to that cause, which I think is, is the yeah. best way to to act, is to just change. If the change is not happening around you, you have to also be part of that in a way. It's a cliche, but I think it works perfectly. Totally. Um, do you think Berlin, what's happening in terms of cinema in Berlin, in terms of this particular change, do you think Berlin is having an impact uh, in a more global scale, I would say, or the cinema that's being produced here in Berlin or showcased like in your festival, do you think that can have an impact outside of Berlin? It's an interesting question. I, I know there are some great film schools in Berlin, also even self-directed film schools like Film Asha. Um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that terribly, <laughs> um, which I know have also a lot of female representation in them, but I don't really, I, I didn't go to film school, for example. I, I studied film theory and, and film studies mm-hmm. in undergrad, but not filmmaking. I mean, I, I have a few filmmaker friends here, I'm sure, and they're making great work, but I couldn't really, to be honest, I couldn't answer that question so thoroughly about what kind of impact it's having elsewhere. I know okay. that, for example, in our festival, we usually only have one or two local submissions that yeah. are that we accept maybe we have a handful of submissions but um still the, the vast majority of the horror films that we're receiving are from um the united states canada and australia also so okay. the anglo-speaking not even from world. europe still from outside yeah mostly outside from outside of europe, of europe. Okay. i mean we have definitely have a number of european submissions also usually sure. um, some asian submissions and the rare african submission as well we'd love to see more but the moment we there's not a lot coming, yeah we'd yeah. like to get our hands on more but it, it would take some more digging than what we've been able to do um yeah and also yeah a few a few south american submissions too but primarily united Mainly states from those. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay what would you say are the main challenges of organizing a film festival in a time where cinemas in general are facing a fierce competition as i was saying before mm-hmm. from the sorts of visual entertainment well i think anyone who's directing a an independent smaller film festival will say that these are not financially self-sustaining um, businesses. I mean, maybe yes, some of them can sustain themselves mm-hmm. with like breaking even, you know. But sure. nobody, nobody's organizing an independent film fest and earning a full-time living sure. from that. I mean, yeah, even the people who are instrumental in organizing the Berlinale the vast majority of them only have employment then for a few months out of the year mm-hmm. to do that and then have to have other jobs throughout the year oh, as really? well. Yeah, I mean, okay. of course, there are a few who are full-time sure. employed, but the, I think that from what I know from friends of mine who work there, the vast majority, they have 
part-time employment for some time of the year. And, and then, then they work for the Berlin Alley. I didn't know that. I, th I actually thought the Berlin Alley would be the exception, but okay. Right. That's well, that's a, that's a huge one also, so I'm not even... Sure, I, I sure. Shouldn't even, I'm not really referring to them when I talk about these independent film festivals. Um, yeah, but other... Like, I know, for example, with Expose, which I used to, I used to uh, volunteer for them, and I was their festival assistant for a little while, that they didn't have any money to do anything. You know, and okay. they... And, And you can still apply for grants and get some money to help to make the festival run and to make it um, run a little bit more professionally, to have um, to be able to fund filmmakers' flights and accommodations and things like this. That's always great when you can do that. But otherwise, it's usually like you're kind of scraping at the bottom of <laughs> the, the, the donation jar sure, sure, to make... Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it depends a lot on volunteer happen. work as well. And, yeah, and so just we always have great volunteers to help people us out. that want to help out, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a passion project, totally. We're doing it because we love horror movies and we love seeing more, more works by women mm -hmm. um, getting on cinema screens. But we're definitely not... Uh, pulling away sure, sure. No, chunks no. of money from this. We did luckily get a grant for next year, so that was a really nice thing to happen. We'll have okay. like some state funding for next year. I'll give you guys a bit of a, a bit of a margin to, to work things out even even better, yeah. Yeah, but I mean from that we only worked in like a tiny, you know, like six hundred euro stipend for each of us, which doesn't fund more than a month of anything. You know, sure, like, no, no, you know, no. Like, yeah. We're not earning a, a year's income from no, no, from our measly six hundred euro stipends. Otherwise, the money, yeah, it's going towards screening fees, which can be really expensive. And for the renting, helping... renting the space, probably as well, no. Well, yeah, with with the space we have now, there's like a nice deal where we split the revenue, and there's no in initial oh, okay. costs. That's um, great for, in. for you guys then. Okay, but that's, that's cool. not the case with every space. Um, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, it'll be great to be able to like tell our our filmmakers that yeah if you want to come we can put you up we of can course yeah help to pay for your flight etc and we can pay people to give talks and mm -hmm. to lead workshops and things like this instead of just passing around the do the donation jar for example i it's think it's really quite impressive that you you have all of that going on and still based on you know you know like talks and workshops and the yeah. screenings and it seems to me a very uh, a very good initiative considering it's not really uh, sustainable in many ways uh, yeah it's coming out of people's pockets even one of the directors we had who made a pretty like sleek film that looks like it was made on some money she said yeah i work my day my day she works in the film industry she does storyboarding um for some even like wonder woman for example she mm -hmm. works in like some bigger budget productions but to fund her own movie that was just straight out of pocket sure like she couldn't find a, comp a production company to to front her money for that so She works her day job and then she makes yeah. her passion project on her own dime. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's, that's what a lot of the people who are who are involved in making these festivals happen are, are doing. What are your um? What would you say are your goals for next year's festival? Are you already? Do you want to just keep it going as if it, as it was this year, or is there? You're talking about this new sponsorship, for example. Uh, is that going to change? Maybe, a, a, I don't know, a bigger room or more a bigger audience. What are you aiming for for next year? Or well, maybe you haven't thought about we're, this. We're one it's week too early. out of the last festival, <laughs> so we haven't thought too uh, in-depth It's too early this, for this question, yeah. But we do, I mean, I think some technical things, we will pay some more money to make things run technically more, sm <laughs> more smoothly. This is, yeah, this is not an exciting detail, but like getting <laughs> all of our f short films on DCP so that um, the screening is of a slightly higher quality That's very well. important as It's well. It's important. important. I mean, we were showing everything off of a computer on MP4 format, before a few a few blu-rays as well but mostly these mp4s and it was on a computer so there were occasionally some file glitches and so on sure and it was uh yeah that was stressful <laughs> so we want to do it right have have dcps properly and so on um 
yeah, I mean, we definitely want to be able to get more directors to the festival. You know, we'd love to have even more. So with the money, we can help to make that happen. And yeah, there were some films we would have liked to show, but we couldn't afford the screening fees. So now sure. we'll have some more wiggle room with that. Okay. And so there's we, definitely a few, a few things you want to change for next year just to make things here and there, not, not really the concept of the festival, but details yeah, that will make all the difference now. We also didn't have a good, um, like a comfortable space to do workshops and, and panels and stuff like that. We were kind of in like one of the lobby rooms in the cinema. So there was, there were some people moving in and out of the space and we didn't have microphones, et cetera. So we'd want to maybe invest in, in finding a good space to, mm -hmm. to have these more interactive events. So that that might also cost a bit of money. We'll see. Um, You'll see how it goes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I guess the concept is there. It's just now it's more about, okay, let's make this even better than what it is or correcting things here and there. It's mostly about details because the concept that you, you figured it out and it's, you're pretty happy with how it went this year, as you were saying. And it's more about just keeping going, no? Exactly. Yeah, okay. I think we were, we were definitely happy with the content that we had this year. It was really, it, it was exciting for us as programmers and we got a lot of good positive feedback from the audience too so okay speaking of the, the audience i mean um I, I assume your audience was most people mostly people from here from from the city from berlin is is berlin a, a really good city for the type of cinema you want to show in your festival or not necessarily horror cinema but uh is is knowing how open-minded berlin is is it a good city for um queer cinema or cinema directed written produced by women for example have you felt the, in a really good audience for it here Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, also events like like Exposed, the Queer Film Festival, are also very well attended. There's the Berlin Porn Film Festival, which is primarily queer work, and that's super well attended. It's always beyond capacity. The Berlin Feminist Film Week is hosted in really sizable venues, and that's always full to the brim. They're also going to be working with us um, at this next edition. Next month, we're going to have a short film program with them, so... I guess if there's one thing to advertise there, oh, <laughs> in a month, a little bit more than a month, we'll have some films showing with them, the Berlin okay. Feminist Film Week. And um, yeah, there's there's so much going on in, in this direction in Berlin, which I think is quite unique and, and okay. exciting. And the audiences are coming to these screenings. Okay, so it's a, it's sure. a good city, you'd say, for, for this, kind of, uh, this kind of cinema. She's pretty open to it. Yeah. I mean, we weren't 100% sure about that with our first editions, because we mm -hmm. hadn't quite reached our market yet, but we've... I think that the numbers that we had at this last festival were very promising. And also we were hearing late, even later on from other people who had just discovered us maybe like a day too late. They're like, Oh, I wish I'd known about, you know, so we know that we haven't, uh, we haven't, um, it's probably even a potential to wings. grow. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's probably a potential to grow even more. Yeah. For sure. I was going to talk a little bit also about the, the, well, just the question about the Berlin alley, because it's going to happen, you know, it's in five days or something, it's in a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. When people usually talk about, Uh, cinema in Berlin. One of the first things that comes to mind is the Berlinalic because the, the impact of, the, of this festival in terms of you know European cinema. Mm. Um, do you see? I don't know if you follow the Berlinalic or oh, not. I do. I do go you every see, year. I you go it. every year. Yeah. Yeah. I have cool. my accreditation. I go four movies a day. Ah, nice. Okay, <laughs> then I can ask you a few things then. Um, do you see the Berlinalic also contributing to um, this cause of, of, of female directors or non-binary directors or movies done by? women or, or produced, written, etc. Do you see the Berlinale also contributing to this? Yeah, I think the Berlinale is, is pretty progressive in, in these terms. And also, I, I know that a large portion of their programming team is queer as well. So there's always, yeah, a very well-represented rep uh, proportion of, of queer cinema. And the Teddy Award, for example, is, I think, the only... I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's the only queer film award of a 
festival of this size, of an international film festival of this size, which is, I think, I believe it's also the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do a lot of work showing retrospective films and trying to also screen trans filmmakers. And yeah, so for sure, uh-huh. every year I'm always impressed by, by that, by those numbers too. So the Berlinale also reflects a bit what's happening in Berlin on a more indie level. Uh, the Berlinale also is trying to contribute to that in a way, uh, yeah. you think. It's interesting to see how the, the, the festival still reflects, even though it's, it has an European impact, it still reflects the city in yeah. a very, in a very uh, accurate way. I think if, way. if you're looking for something to complain about, there's always something, right? You know, <laughs> you can always say, oh, there weren't. It wasn't a totally 50-50 split of women. Or sure. like, there are way more films about gay men than there are about lesbians in the festival, which is true, which a lot of people do get pissed off about, which I'm mm-hmm. in agreement with. But still, like, uh, if, if you want to see more boundary-breaking work in cinema made by women, made by queer people, then the Berlinale is a good festival for that. Yeah. yeah, it's a good one for that, for sure. Sarah, I'd also like to ask some stuff uh, about your own work as a musician, because you're also a musician. In fact, your profession is you're a drum teacher. Um, what was the drummer that made you want to be a drummer? Well, I guess there are two important drummers to name. Well, there's definitely more than two to name for this, for this question, but the drummer who inspired me most in my style was Martin Lopez from Opeth. I don't know if you like Opeth. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm into metal. I heard about Opeth. Opeth so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his style was was really instrumental for me as I was developing my own and trying, kind of training myself in in more like progressive directions and trying to learn on time signatures, learning different um, approaches like um, yeah, Latin drumming mixed with rock drumming and metal and odd time signatures and so on. But that was a little bit after I'd started playing when I was first starting. I was actually really inspired by a drummer named Mercedes Lander, who drummed for the band Kitty. Remember, we were okay. talking about new metal. It all comes back to new metal. <laughs> I was going to say you're going to say Limp Bizkit or something like that. Yeah. No, Kitty was like the one all-female band in, okay. that was somewhat big, um, at least in the states during the early 2000s. I'm not sure if you got to Europe. I I wouldn't remember. I wouldn't remember. My my new yeah. metal references were the very basic ones back in the day. Right, and Mercedes. I mean, she really held her own. She could play. And, at, you know, as an 11-year-old, I was quite quite blown away. And I was mm-hmm. going, as I mentioned, my mom, my mom is awesome. She would take me to their shows. She would really? come with me to them. That's a great mom. Yeah, and she liked it too. She, she also, she okay. liked metal and horror with me. So, um, yeah, Mercedes was like, it was really important for me to see another woman on stage playing and being, you know, in, in a male-dominated realm also, not just in music, but in metal, mm-hmm. um, sure. holding her own and being kind of that was a bit of an inspiration for you as well you saw you saw yourself in that role in a way yeah it's funny i can't think of it. i'm like what was she being she was just being herself like there was nothing um she wasn't performing for any kind of gaze or for any kind of like um visual expectation i think sure. it was just like Sometimes she's a badass enough. woman that's playing enough. music yeah. doing her thing and doing it well yeah, and that was what I needed to see. Okay, I gotta look it up. I, I don't know, Kitty. It's never late to discover <laughs> new metal. New metal should come back. I think it's never late to discover it. It's like it's almost retro at this point. Yeah, it's pretty. It's <laughs> Give 15, it a few years. Fifteen years. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Besides being a, a a professional drum teacher, what are your music projects at the moment? There's a band and such. Well, I play in a sort of doom jazz post rock duo called Mellow Death which is releasing an EP very soon. And I play guitar in a band called Coral Hearse, which will also be releasing an album this year. We recorded it over a year ago, but finally it's coming out this year. Okay. And um, yeah, then I have some smaller sort of like part-time involvements, like this duo called The Devil. And 
I was playing in a few other projects last year, which are more inactive this year, so okay. I'm not quite sure to name some things them. things come and the go moment. then. But then you hear in there some studio gigs, and I'm playing with some projects and with people who are in my practice room collective, which is also a, a, a queer and feminist practice room collective. So I'm playing with other women and trans people there and some things that are not currently named, but are practicing every week. So, okay. yeah. so you're involved my, in quite my, a My musical life is also very, uh, it exists primarily in the practice room, okay. actually, which is quite okay with me. It's a nice place. It's a nice It's cozy, yeah. cozy enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not out gigging every weekend, but that's, that's all right. Uh, are you planning on building a, a bridge between music and cinema at some point? Have you ever have you ever done it before, as in either a soundtrack or a project in which you combine both at the same time? Yeah, I'm still working on that. I did I did make a short film. I don't call myself a filmmaker necessarily, but I I did make a short film that I made this the soundtrack for, um, with some percussion and also guitar, and I would love to do that again. I think that would be a really cool project because okay. I. Um, yeah, I'm often hearing, I'm often thinking of, of motifs and melodies when I'm looking at, um, at moving images and I think I could continue could. to develop that skill. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, one of my, um, jam projects, I have like three jam projects. We are planning to get a, a projector into the rehearsal space in the next couple of weeks and to try to, um, to That's jam cool. over top some, some old silent films. That's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah nothing, uh, nothing exactly, uh, set in stone yet in that direction mm -hmm. but it's it's something i'm working on that's a good idea yeah. okay yeah certainly as a cinema as a cinema fan that, that's probably very thrilling to be able to do both at the same time mm -hmm. yeah, music and and being part of a part of a movie almost no in terms of the soundtrack with everything we have mentioned and uh, your role as 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 you know as a, a bit of an activist i would say and uh, a film festival organizer and musician. I think you're clearly moving uh, the needle for the cause of, of, of women, queer, non-binary, and for the freedom of people being whoever they want to be, so to speak, let's say. Um, how can someone, like a, a random dude like me, um, change things in my environment as well? Are there specific things I could do? I'm talking within my music circle or within my personal life or anything, to be honest, because, of course, everything we've been talking is within your community, but I think sometimes a lot of people that are outside of that community also want to help, and it's sometimes it's a bit unclear of what we can do or not. So what would you say a random guy like me could do to, to sort of uh, help things also move, move forward, let's say? Well, you don't necessarily mean politically, right? You mean like in your own life? No, I'm talking, in, in what I'm talking is you? that you see things happening and you see uh, unfair situations and you see women struggling for, for making, for example, the cinema world a bit more even. You can see that it's, it's, it's you, I can see the motivation in women to change things, but what if a guy also agrees with that? How can he contribute to this cause as well without uh, jeopardizing everything women are doing? Well, one of my friends mentioned during the filmmaker panel um, that it's really important to go to, to go to the cinema during the first week of a film's release. So if you, if there's a film that's coming out directed by a woman that you're at all interested in, go and see that film within the first week that it's out, and that actually helps to, um, that it's like, it's those numbers that the production companies are looking to when hiring directors for okay. their projects. So this will actually help women get hired. Seems like a funny okay. thing to point to, but your, your dollar does have a big impact, actually, when it comes to the way that the film world looks in terms so of the first, gender first week, you say, yeah. First week, even I the first weekend, ideally. Maybe expand the kind of events that you're going to. Check out some more of these um, feminist film events that are happening and queer mm -hmm. film events. 
and feminist horror film events. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. That you see happening around you, even if you're not totally sure it's your thing, chances are you actually have no idea if it's your thing because you haven't seen anything like it yet. True. Right? True. That's what I often am telling people if they say, oh, I don't really like horror. I, what I'm thinking is you've only seen horror films made by men, probably. Maybe you've seen one or two horror films made by women. So see, yeah. you really think, don't know yeah. what you're missing. So check it out. I mean, the stories that, that women are telling in horror are mind-blowingly different and original. Okay. And I mean, we're still like super excited every time we get a submission because we know we're getting something that's completely something fresh. Yeah. Completely fresh. Exactly. That's a good yeah, start. So I support think. these events. I don't know. <laughs> show up, watch, watch the movies, show up. Yeah. Show support, physical support that is showing up to the places and stuff. You'd say it's a good start then. Yeah. Have conversations also, not just with, um, with, uh, the women in your circles, but also with, with your male friends and so on. Maybe probe them a little bit about why they're not... Uh, why are they not going? Yeah, why they're not reaching out right. to these other kinds of um, communities and their art forms. And okay. also, of course, I mean, on a basic level, like, don't don't uh, tolerate sexist bullshit from of course, yeah. people in your, in your circle and from even just acquaintances that mm -hmm. you see saying things. On not more, just sexist, more personal, but also racist sure. and other kinds of discriminatory behavior. Like, this is primarily coming from, like cis white men right this is i'm not saying anything revolutionary here no 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 so you have to uh they're, and they're usually not even like willing to listen to for example women who are calling them out on that shit so it really is actually like your duty as a man to like to be a good um i hate to use these kind of buzzwords like ally but just don't don't stand for this bullshit you know no, what of I mean? course like, yeah don't accept it as just don't accept it exactly and, and and yeah don't just brush it off or laugh it off because that's exactly what enables it to continue yeah okay yeah. then I, I think i have a better idea on what i can do okay i'm not i cannot guarantee i'll wait for the for the film festival to watch my first horror movie directed by women but uh but i can I'll give you a whole list of recommendations I'm, i might i might ask started. that after the interview i might i might write that down perfect uh, Sarah, thanks very much for uh, for your time for the interview. Um, where can people follow your work besides the film festival uh, that happens once a year and people a lot of people already know about it, but uh, where can people follow your work, for example, as a musician? Well, there's a few Bandcamp pages that are up right now where you can support my projects. There's one called Saratma, which was actually a, a Philly-based project, which is part-time active. Um, that's S-A-R-A-T-T-M-A dot Bandcamp.com right. if you want to hear an album that I played on. Um, Mellow Death will have an album out soon. We already have the one song up on the Bandcamp. All right, so that's coming soon. M E L L O W. And in terms Death. of the in terms um, of the film festival itself, people can there's a website. There's a, there's all sorts of social media. Um, Facebook is usually the main reference for news. Yeah, for example, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a website, finalgirlsberlin.com, where you can follow all of our news as well. Okay. Well, we have some screenings coming up. Not just at the Feminist Film Week, but also in Stockholm, Sweden. There's going to be something later on in the year in Spain. So we're also doing little guest curations in different festivals. Oh, that's really cool. So you're going to travel a little bit around, or you can also Sometimes. go to we these places? we travel to one place in Austria that, that screened us, but it, it really just depends on whether they have money to fly us out. Yes. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but okay. we try to. It's really cool to go okay. on a little festival tour as well. Thanks, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for your, for your time, and thanks for all the, the suggestions. You can follow Sarah, her work as a musician. She works, she plays with 
thousand bands. Yeah, don't forget Coral Hearse also. That's my That's the main one, one to focus full, on. The full length album that's coming out that's in April. That's the one to focus on, yeah. So. <laughs> As for the film festival, of course, uh, it was just last week, but uh, there's always news related to it on their website and on social media, so keep your eyes open for that. Thanks for listening to episode 9 of Berlino Tech. My name is Duarte Zvedu and uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, see you in the next episode. See you soon.